High and over in variety. And Amani from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, we're back with another Ryan Thorburn here with Steve Mims. Steve, we're getting ready to make that drive up the I-5 to Seattle for number 12 Oregon at number 25 Washington. What do you make of the state of this rivalry right now? I think my advance is going to be about how you know we had about you know, 15 to 20 years of lopsided results where Oregon won 12 in a row and then Washington really hammered Oregon in those two games that they won. And then last year, obviously that classic overtime thriller at Autzen, 30-27 ducks on the walk-off by C.J. Verdell. And now Oregon's a three-point favorite in this one. So uh, do you you sense there's a sense of balance now in this series? Yeah, hopefully some of you listening are probably driving on your way up to Seattle as well for the game, be a 12-30 kick on Saturday. And yeah, I mean, it feels to me this was the game that everybody came in thinking this was going to be the game for the the North Division and Oregon's kind of done its part. And and the irony is that Washington has been able to, you know, Washington's two back. So even if they win this, they still need Oregon to lose. If they lose this, they're knocked out of it. I mean, as amazing as it is to say, Oregon almost clinched the North Division less than halfway through Pac-12 play with the win in this one. So I do think, though, that that, that Washington's going to come out and play better in this one. You know, they played well last week, but, you know, it's interesting. The two head-to-head matchups, Oregon's beaten Cal and Stanford. Washington's lost to them both. So I think that's where the betting line comes from and sort of the way Oregon's playing. But but I think Washington will realize this is kind of their last stand. If they drop this one, you mentioned, that'd be another one in a row in the rivalry. It'd knock them, you know, out of contention. Suddenly they're looking at some of the lower-tier bowls in the Pac-12. So I, I do expect them with Husky Stadium is always a big place. I do expect this to feel like a rivalry game and, and to feel like a top 10, top 15 matchup, which we thought a couple weeks ago it was. It is a top 25 matchup, but I think it'll have that feel of of kind of a North Division, you know, a game that can decide the North Division for both teams. It's kind of strange, and I, I mentioned this with Ken Woody on the podcast earlier in the week, that, you know, Mario Cristobal's best win at Oregon, Justin Herbert's best win at Oregon, was beating Washington mm-hmm. last year. And, you know, it was a great celebration at Autzen. But when you look back at it, Washington won the North. Washington won the Pac-12, mm-hmm. despite losing to their rival. And it's kind of flipped now. I mean, Oregon doesn't have to win this game. They are two games clear of Washington. Uh, they just need to avoid, uh, you know, getting in a situation where it comes down to that tiebreaker should they lose this game. But uh, I don't get the sense that Oregon's thinking about the cushion they have right now, although, you know, it ha- it, should they lose, I think they will fall back on, well, we're still in control of our own destiny and all that stuff. But kind of strange that, you know, if Washington wins this, it could be two years in a row where the loser of this game wins the Pac-12. Yeah, it's true. And I, I'm with you on Oregon not thinking about the cushion because there is still this CFP carrot out there. How realistic it is, we don't know. But there is still this thought that if they can get through the, the conference unbeaten and, and win the title game, they may still be in that final four. So I think that's sort of where the carrot or where the cushion goes away. But yeah, and it's it's interesting, you know, because if, if Oregon does lose and then Washington's got the tiebreaker and one back, well, suddenly, you know, we've seen Oregon drop some kind of games you don't expect in recent years. And, you know, with a trip to USC, a trip to ASU, you, your margin of error is gone there. Suddenly you lose in Washington. If they keep winning takes over the you know kind of who's got their destiny in, in their hands there so if Oregon does this like you say it's 
sort of puts they can lose one of those probably two of those and still have this thing you know as long as they don't lose the civil war which i don't think we see happening they'll basically have the tiebreaker on everybody and and two games up so it kind of gives them you know in in terms of you know winning the division it gives them a real cushion there but if they lose it i don't you know i don't think they look at it that hey they're one up because like i say this is just a program that hasn't kind of gotten to the point to where especially road games you've seen them drop some unlikely ones with arizona last year so i don't think you lose to washington they go just run the table the rest of the way these two fan bases do not like each other, and they might not want to hear this, but these two teams are built almost the same way. You have mm-hmm. a six foot six quarterback mm-hmm. that NFL scouts are going to be looking at on both sides. You have coaches that um, think run first and stick with the run, and you have two really good young defensive coordinators who, you know, could be talked about for head coaching jobs, whether this year or down the road, uh, in Jimmy Lake and Andy Avalos and. You know, obviously, or Washington's had great defenses in recent years, and it looks like Oregon has a great defense this year. So, uh, kind of interesting how these teams are built and how similar they really are. Yeah, it's interesting. Their quarterbacks both class of 2015 coming out of high school and Jacob Eason is basically the number one recruit in the country he's got SEC everybody coming after him and and Justin Herbert was probably the 10th ranked quarterback on the west coast in that recruiting class and you know the way it turns out Eason goes to Georgia and plays for a year and then sits and then gets benched and then transfers and comes back and suddenly he's kind of the underrated you know the quarterback who's a little bit down not being considered as highly for Heisman obviously and NFL draft type thing is Herbert who's kind of just came to Oregon as the underwhelming guy like you mentioned took over against Washington three years ago and has gradually improved his stock to where I think everybody you know the the name quarterback coming in is is Justin Herbert whereas if you looked at the recruiting rankings coming out in 2015 if it had been Easton versus Herbert I think most people would have thought Easton had the advantage so what do you think about Herbert's season so far he's putting up nice stats and everything but it, it seems like you know this is a game where you know, I remember Mario mentioning um, during fall camp that there's going to be a game or two where he needs to win it for him. Could this be that moment where, where Herbert has to deliver uh, a win for the Ducks? You know, they've been up and down running the ball. You know, obviously their defense has come through these last five games, but is this on Herbert, or do you think he can, you know, use the same formula, you know, lean on the running game a little bit and have Andy Avalos' defense shut down the other team? Yeah, I think this could be a little bit more on him than most. Just for one, you mentioned the defense. I mean, eventually these single-digit defensive performances are going to end, and you figure it probably ends this week. I mean, Washington's a team that, you know, Oregon could have a good defensive effort and still give up 17 or 20. And, you know, the, the thing with me with Herbert, I mean, Herbert's best road win still remains that Utah one. You know, his freshman year that was kind of a meaningless throwaway game for Oregon. It was gave him a fourth win instead of a three-win season. But, you know, since then, they, they haven't won a lot of games on the road. This year, Stanford, you know, wasn't exactly a, a real tough road game. Um, they haven't, you know, last they've had losing records on the road these past few years. So there's kind of a need, I think, for him to, in an, especially in an environment like this, where it's going to be a sellout. There's going to be 71,000. It may be pouring down rain. There may be some seven, you know, some 15, 17 mile an hour winds, something like that in there. I do think there's going to be a point where this game's going to be pretty close and the quarterback probably going to have to come out and put together a drive. There'll be some running involved, but he's going to need to complete some passes, put together a drive or two during the second half to either get Oregon ahead or kind of extend an Oregon lead. And the thing I'm interested to watch is, is with no Jacob Breland. I mean, that's kind of become the guy that Justin's had kind of darting down the center of the field, being able to find regularly and especially last week, seemed to be open every time I got out there. And now that position is filled more by blockers and maybe some inexperienced guys. And he's going to need to look more for the receivers in those spots where he got pretty comfortable with Breland. Yeah, football can be a cruel sport. Breland was having a 
tremendous season, you know, arguably a front runner for the Mackey Award for the nation's best tight end. NFL scouts were paying notice to him. You know, they're all showing up to watch Herbert, and he's was Herbert's go-to guy this year, kind of like Dylan Mitchell last year. Uh, so that will be interesting to see how they make up for that absence. I think they'll spread it around more to their receivers, which have been getting healthy. Um, but does uh, Patrick Herbert get a look at some point this season? Do they burn that red shirt and go all in with Patrick? He's played in two games, which means he could play in two more and still red shirt. Or, or is that um, wishful thinking? Because I've, you know, I've watched Patrick's state championship game. I mean, that's a guy who can catch the ball. I could see him lining up, you know, in the slot like uh, Spencer Webb was doing it and just catch the ball. But maybe that's wishful thinking. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think the idea now is to redshirt him. I think I think if they feel like he can't help them, they're not going to throw him out there and waste it. But I think if they think there's a game two or three games left that he can help them, they will. I mean, there's too much on the line this season to sit there and think, you know, we're going to worry about Patrick Herbert in the year 2024. You know, I think I think you you play him out this year if he can help you. If he's going to get in the game, I think you put him in there. And you mentioned it's just we haven't seen Camp Moyer and Bay have kind of that ability to kind of get more than 10, 15 yards down the field and make a catch and, and in Certainly in high school, Patrick Herbert did, and he's kind of the tight end. You expect to be more like Breland, who can kind of get down the field and make some big plays vertically. We can see some of that from Spencer Webb, too, although you know Patrick seems a little bit more bulked up, so he may be able to handle a little bit more kind of the push from the linebackers, whereas Webb you know, has been out kind of on cornerbacks recently, so the physicality be a little different at tight end. But I think with Herbert, I think if they think he can help him, absolutely he plays. They do need a receiving threat at tight end right now. They don't have. If they think it's him, I don't even think they think twice about the, the red shirt at this point, but at the same time, if they don't think he can help him, you're not going to see him go in in some blowout and waste a game like that. If he's going into a game, it's going to be the idea they think they can play him and use him in some extended minutes, and that may not even be this week. Again, if they get through this, I could see them playing him in games you know, 9, 10, 11, and 12 and still burning the red shirt. I, I just don't think you're going to wait at this point. C.J. Verdell seems to have his legs back from, from last year. He had a good burst against Cal before spraining an ankle. Came back last week. 177 yards against Colorado. Um, it looks like uh, Cyrus Habibi Lico is now basically the number two guy with, with Travis Dye losing a couple fumbles against Cal. That's a good one-two punch with you know CJ handling most of the load and then Cyrus um, bullying his way in on the goal line. How do you see the running game right now? It, it's looked a lot better since the bye week. Yeah, I thought CJ both in that the game he got hurt two games ago at the start and last week just seemed to have a burst we hadn't seen for a little while and you know just getting off the you know as soon as he got the ball it felt like he got to the line of scrimmage sometimes through the line of scrimmage a little further found some holes and was able to get kind of you know deeper on the defense he just looked to me like and I don't know why that would be you know I'm not sure why why it happened in, in game five there and then certainly didn't seem to bother him after getting hurt uh in the middle of the of the game two games ago so I do think he's kind of reestablished himself as the guy. I think that, you know, with Habibi Likio and, and Dai give you such different things that some of that could be personnel related. You know, they'll bring in Cyrus if, you know, they kind of want to power somebody down or if they think they got somebody that, you know, a defense that they can kind of get Dai on the outside and, and kind of break away from and go him in there. So I think those two are probably 2A and 2B, and it just kind of depends more on sort of the, the, the defenses they're facing and, and the personnel they've got with their two different styles. Flipping it to the other side, you mentioned Eason. He certainly looks the part. He's had some really good games early in the season. Maybe not as consistent as they would like at this point, but he is completing 66% of his passes, 
13 touchdowns, three interceptions. And then their new running back, Ahmed Salvan, uh, really an explosive player. Uh, he's averaging 5.8 yards per carry with six touchdowns. So they have good balance again, and they have a pretty good offensive line, although those guys are a little banged up right now. Uh, how do you see that matchup between Avalos's defense, which has been lights out, and um, Chris Peterson's offense? Yeah, I do think that you're going to see, you know, we've seen the Huskies have been, this is certainly the the toughest running game that Oregon's going to face so far this season. You know, they haven't really faced a guy that, that they're going to see like this that ranks up there in the top five in the Pac-12 in, in rushing, you know, so this is going to be the biggest test of that. And they've got some other guys behind them as well. And, and Eason, like you say, I mean, strong arm guy, uh, not always not always consistent, but, you know, when they've won, I think their games they've won, they're averaging about 40 points, and the two losses are averaging about 16. So that's been kind of a big deal for them is that when they can get this offense going, they've really pulled away from some people. And, again, that hasn't been the greatest of competition, Eastern Washington, BYU, teams like that. Um, but then the games, you know, when Cal and Stanford got them, it sort of turned into a grind and were able to limit that running game and kind of keep – Washington down, which is kind of what Oregon's been able to do. So I, I think if you're Oregon, you feel pretty good looking at the at the Cal and Stanford video and feeling like you can kind of copy some of the things those two defenses did. They also have really a dynamic receiver in Aaron Fuller. This guy catches everything, uh, and he has five touchdowns as well. But Oregon's secondary has been very impressive this year. Ron McKinley with a couple picks last week uh, as Oregon racks up four against Montez. You know, I still think Montez is a good player and Colorado has a good offense, but it sure didn't look like it. Uh, how do you see kind of that matchup with the secondary? Is Because I think Colorado has you know some good receivers too, but uh, certainly Fuller at home might be dangerous. Yeah, the depth we've seen is interesting. You know, we, Javon Holland goes out and Hockey Woods comes in and suddenly he's laying some of the hardest hits of it all. You know, McKinley's a guy who in there at the safety spot and you know last year wasn't didn't play enough to even get a you know he was able to redshirt he didn't play the five games and now you've seen him come along and and second you know obviously you got breeze and holland and them back there so that's you know the depth that oregon's got in the secondary is really good and yeah i mean i i I just i think that you know when you look at what oregon's at cornerback with graham and lenore two guys that have stayed healthy all year long and be out there for every play they're necessary for so yeah it's uh it's you know, we've talked all year about how good this defense has been, and a lot of that's been that secondary back there. I think it's, what, 12 interceptions this year, which, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago, there were Oregon teams that were getting six or seven of them. And, you know, when you saw the – felt to me like the Colorado game was a lot like the Nevada game in the sense that it was close, you know, middle of second quarter. And then in, in Nevada, it was Samson who forced a fumble, and suddenly that just opened it up, and Oregon was able to put up about 28 in a row. And this week it was the McKinley interception. You know, that game goes from 17-10 possibly to – 38-3 in about 10 minutes of game time. So it just feels like this secondary and defense and whole, at times they've been able to make a play in a close game that's completely swung it. All right, let's take our first break, and then we'll take a look around the Pac-12. Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at LesSchwab.com. All right, Steve, we're taping this podcast on Thursday afternoon at the Register Guard Studios. So if you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, 
this will not mean anything to you, but UCLA plays at Stanford tonight to kick off the weekend. Both teams coming off buys. Stanford looked so bad early in the season, but now it seems like they're going to win eight games like David mm-hmm. Shaw always does. Do you think they have it back, or, or Chip Kelly, is there any hope that they're going to turn things around? I don't think when ESPN scheduled this game, they thought it was going to be a one-win UCLA team coming in. I, I think they, like most people, had higher hopes for UCLA than this. I don't know. I'm, I'm just having a hard time seeing where Chip turns it around. I mean, he's losing. You know, he's kind of had now the receiver Howard who left early to kind of go grad transfer somewhere else. And, um, you know, there was a story in the LA Times about the number of guys that left the program and how hard of a time he is getting into 75 scholarship guys. I, it just feels like this thing's getting away from Chip and, you know, his personality isn't the type to kind of, you know, come back and, you know, try to change things he does. It's sort of, you know, gas all the way and worked well here, isn't working well there. So I, I certainly like Stanford in that game tonight. I think you're right. I think the Cardinal are going to kind of play their way back around it. Probably end up with three conference losses around there. It's not going to be a great Stanford team, but uh, I'd be surprised if, if they weren't disciplined enough to go down there and, and find a way to beat Chip's crew. Yeah, have fun in the Red Box Bowl, Stanford. <laughs> Uh, just looking on here, it looks like tickets as low as $7 on StubHub for that one. So uh, if you're in the Bay Area and, and you're obsessed with college football, you can get in there cheap. Um, Colorado boat raced here in Eugene last week, 45-3. Now they're at struggling Washington State. Who bounces back there, Montez and company or, or the Pirate? Yeah, that might be the battle for a bowl. Loser of that game may have a hard time getting to, to six wins. You know, it's amazing. I was on record saying early Washington State. I thought Washington State was Oregon's biggest contender in the in the North Division. It just feels like that UCLA game became the the cliche. Don't let one game beat you twice. I feel like that game came back and beat them three times. Just you know, that sort of obviously led to the defensive coordinator going, and now they've given up thirty eight in back to back games even since he left. So I think Washington State feels like a mess right now, but. Uh, you know, Colorado, I think we saw last, you know, I think Washington State regroups and, and wins at home and gets to four and three. But I do think that's still a Washington State team that probably loses a couple more and has a hard time getting to a bowl just because, like I say, it just feels like that UCLA game just took everything. You know, they were ranked top 15 in the country. And you were starting to think, man, this could be like last year's team that, you know, kind of had ran this miracle by Minshew and they got a quarterback who's kind of surprisingly doing the same thing but it just feels like giving up that kind of loss was too much for this team to overcome the last couple weeks yeah I think Colorado will find a way to win that although their secondary against Leach's spread offense could get ugly as well so who knows Um, Arizona at USC is another interesting game in the south division that division is still wide open the winner of this is still in good position you know obviously Clay Helton hot seat is overshadowing everything but USC three and three through their ugly six game stretch of brutal games uh, has a chance to get on a run and I think they will beat Arizona I think that game's a lot of relevance to Oregon both those teams remain on Oregon's schedule and you know kind of the difficulty of that game against those teams could depend on sort of the mental mindset of those teams I think we've talked all along that UCLA was so late on Oregon's schedule that if things go bad or USC excuse me if things go bad for them and Helton's on his way out that team may have given up on clay at the time but certainly it hasn't happened yet they played notre dame tough last week and arizona you know they go to hawaii and get blown out and you're thinking man the kevin sumlin era may be ending sooner than you expect and suddenly they've come back and want to touch and they're back in it and you know if oregon's got khalil tate who's leading the you know division that's going to be a tougher matchup than you know maybe an arizona team that again doesn't have as much to play for so i think both those teams on oregon's schedule are going to be interesting come that game to see kind of where they are at in the standings just kind of where the head of those teams is collectively Oregon State is at Cal. That 
kicks off at 11.30 a.m. on the Pac-12 Networks. Uh, I see the Bears getting another win on their way towards bowl eligibility. Disappointing performance by Oregon State last week. I know Utah's defense is spectacular, but coming off that win at UCLA, that was disappointing to get humiliated at home. Yeah, Cal Oregon State feels like 13-9 to or something like that to me. I mean, um, you know, we've seen, like you say, Oregon State just at home to have the offense shut down like that. You wonder what the confidence level is both of Jake Luton and of the team and Jake Luton at this point. When you got a six-year senior and, you know, a transfer sitting behind him, you wonder at some point do they kind of pass the baton over and figure that all was lost for this year. Not going to do it this week, but, you know, again, if Luton struggles, you wonder again just coming off that performance last week at home. So I'll take Cal, but this uh, this is a game that may be worthy of an 11.30 a.m. TV slot because I'm not sure that it's going to be the most pleasant game to watch. And the best game on the schedule besides Oregon-Washington is number 17 Arizona State at number 13 Utah. In my opinion, the winner of this game will go ahead and win the South and will be in that Pac-12 championship game where I think Oregon will also be headed. And I'm going to go with Utah at home in Salt Lake City. You remember last year Utah had it rolling pretty well and then they lost their quarterback and their running back to season-ending injuries at Arizona State. I think they... uh, uh, get a little bit of revenge and, and and beat Herm Edwards in a good game. I'm with you on this and I think that the you know for all the doomsday of after Oregon lost Auburn the the one thing that Pac-12 is still counting on if they could get a one loss Utah and a one loss Oregon into a Pac-12 title game that would certainly be the best case scenario for them you know and Oregon's loss would be to Auburn which could still be top 25 at that point USC was the one that beat Utah and that's not a terrible loss so I think whatever the fledgling CFP hopes are for the Pac-12, what the conference offices are rooting for right now is Utah to win out, Oregon to win out, get twelve and you know eleven and one versus eleven and one in the Pac-12 title game. The winner of it's your twelve and one champion with not a bad loss, and depending on how things fall, you could make a claim for the winner of that game to be in the CFP. All right, let's take our last break, and then we'll wrap up the pod by looking ahead to Saturday in Seattle. Hi, Ryan Thorburn here, sports reporter at the Register Guard. I've covered a lot of your favorite sports memories in recent years. Marcus Mariota being presented the Heisman Trophy in New York. Oregon blowing defending national champion Florida State off the field in the Rose Bowl. Sabrina Ionescu becoming the face of women's college basketball while helping transform the Ducks from Pac-12 afterthought to national powerhouse. No other media company covers Oregon athletics with the depth and quality found at DuckSports.com. But in order for the Register Guard to continue its rich history of local journalism, we need your support. Please subscribe and support our advertisers to help us chronicle the ducks and take you behind the scenes to create more memories in the years to come. All right, Steve. Uh, I did a story this week on the Oregon Lottery scoreboard app where you can now gamble <laughs> on professional sports, but you cannot lay down mm. money on the ducks, but they are nevertheless a three-point favorite in you this. can go over to chinook wins on the coast they there do do go. the college betting there so if you want to bet on college football in the state of oregon that is your one option so three-point favorite um i think that's about right i think it's going to be another close game last year was 30 27 oregon pulled it out at home uh as i was telling woody i my head says that oregon wins this game but you know the intangibles of a desperate Chris Peterson team at home in front of a sellout crowd, it it could be tough for Oregon at the same time. Either way, I do think it's going to be a close game. Uh, What what do you think this game boils down to? 
Yeah, I think that the betting lines give you three for home field. So they're basically saying that Oregon's a touchdown better than Washington, which, so you know, I, I think based on what we've seen this year, you can go with. But I do think that maybe that home field advantage, again, just sort of the way the weather may be and, and what all the conditions are going to be up in Seattle, that could not be more than a three-point deal for the Huskies. So I'm with you. I think this thing's close. Like I said, I, I think there's going to be a drive in the fourth quarter where Herbert either needs to complete a couple passes to get Oregon ahead or to extend the lead far enough to kind of put the game away. Um, again, the conditions, it could be pretty windy. It could be rainy. It could be a situation where it's hard for either team to pass. We don't know about that. It's always cold at Husky Stadium, even, even when it's not like that. So if you're going up there, bundle up. But I think Oregon's I think Oregon's in this thing to the end. I think there's just going to be a drive. And if they don't get it, I think that, you know, the Huskies have a chance to go down there and this crowd's going crazy. It, it could be a pretty good finish. Yeah, and if, if Oregon extends its streak of single-digit you know, defensive performances, obviously they're going to win. They've done that five consecutive games, which is the first time since 1958. And I believe if they do it one more time, that would date back into the 40s. So um, I don't expect that. But at the same time, this is five weeks in a row. It's it's a trend. It's not a fluke. So uh, that's why I think defenses travel well. And I think that's why Oregon will be in this game to the very end. Uh, this is the 25th anniversary of the pick, and uh, I know you wrote an interesting story about the famous uh, photograph in the Register Guard uh, depicting that iconic play that flipped this series around for the Ducks. Uh, tell the podcast listeners a, little, listeners a little bit about that story. Yeah, Andy Nelson took the photo, and he left the Register Guard for a while, but it's been back for now, and so we've got him on site, and uh, the picture that uh, is sort of... It's the visual answer to Jerry Allen's verbal call. Everybody verbally thinks of Jerry Allen's call, and, and Andy Nelson's is the shot visually. And it's just great, not only in that it gets the interception, but at the crowd behind him, I was able to track down a few of the people. Mike Barrett, the radio announcer who's jumping in the air. Dave Hickey, the current Arizona AD who's pointing Kenny Wheaton in the right direction. I talked to a couple of the ball boys who are 10 and 14 years old, and there's a dad holding his daughter in there, and she was three years old, and she's now 28 and getting married this year, and we caught up with them. So, uh, yeah, if, if you enjoyed that, if you're an Oregon fan and you enjoyed the pick, I, I hope you'll kind of enjoy looking back on kind of that moment with some of the people who were right on the sideline and just their their depictions of, again, kind of what that moment meant to the program, what it meant to the future of it, and kind of what that picture and that image has meant to them. So that story will be, uh, will be in our print edition on Saturday, but should be up on our website by Friday. So look for that at DuckSports.com as well as all of our coverage advancing this Oregon Washington game and certainly our game day coverage as I mentioned Steve and I will be piling into the car uh, on Friday we're taking Chris Peach with us so maybe he can get another iconic photo of whatever the <laughs> the play of this game is last year it was Verdell uh, with that over overtime game winning walk-off run and like I say I think it's going to be close so there's going to be a moment to be had for one side or the other. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week.